0: Welcome. Um, I'm happy to be one of many people that have already welcomed you and and wish you a happy Mother's Day. Um, We are, uh, if this is your first time with us, I just want to thank you for joining us here at Pomerado Christian Church, a place in which uh, we are wanting to get everyone plugged into the people and the purpose of the church uh, and community and and what to the church, uh, what God has for you through being in a community of the church. Uh, That we're a place that we are not perfect people, Uh, But we're people who have been and are still being changed by God to make a change in this world. And people who recognize we are called to be witnesses to who God is through our words and sharing our faith, but also through our actions and serving the world. And so like our church initials, these ideas of being plugged in, changed by, and called to be witnesses are PCC. So hopefully it's easy for us to remember and hopefully it's a standard of which we live our lives both as individuals and as a church. And so we are so glad that you are with us uh, this morning. And so as we like to do at the beginning of our sermons, as we like to take just a couple minutes, especially for people who, again, maybe are newer with us, maybe they've missed a week or so in the previous, uh, in the series that we're currently in. And we take a couple moments, just like in your favorite TV show, has like a previously on, and to kind of update you on the plot. Uh, we do a kind of a previously uh, in the sermon series, and so we are currently in a series called I Am, and we started this series on Easter, and it's a series in which we reference uh, the seven I Am statements of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John, in which he proclaims and he shows so clearly his divinity that he's not just a good moral teacher, he's not just a, a wise man, but that he is God by hearkening back to Exodus 3.14 in which God's name that he gives to Moses is I am who I am and so when Jesus ties in that verbiage when he says I am the resurrection and the life which you read at Easter. When he says, I am the bread of life, or any of these other statements in John, it is such a clear, clear sign to all people who had a background in Judaism that he's saying he is God, and how, how crazy that would have been to them, but how true it is. So speaking of when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, on Easter, we talked about how Easter isn't just about how Jesus resurrected 2,000 years ago. Of course, that's huge. Without the resurrection, uh, we have no hope. But it's not just about what happened in the past. It's about how he is the resurrection and how he is still providing hope today. It's not just that he died and rose again and he's done. It's that he died and rose again and is still working and is still providing the hope, which is the truest thing uh, that we need in the midst of difficulty and despair. The next week, we talked about how he said that I am the bread of life. And in that point, we talk about how our stomachs may rumble and how our hearts may grumble. Jesus alone can satisfy our hunger looking for those deepest needs that we have that, that maybe it's a physical thing. Like we just want to have more stuff in this physical world. So it's our stomachs rumbling, or maybe it's our hearts that are discontented or always want more or never feel like there's enough or are always comparing ourselves to others. And we grumble against God, but though our stomachs may rumble and our hearts may grumble, Jesus alone can satisfy the deepest hungers of our lives. Then Last week, we looked at the idea that Jesus is the door. He says, I am the door in John chapter 10, verse 7 and verses 9. And he says that Jesus is the door out of our old life and into the full life. And we talked about the reference of how we all have a a way we've grown up, a fold, um, using the sheep terms, that we all grew up a certain way. And Jesus calls out of our old way. But it's not just that he calls us out of our old way. It's that he calls us to what John 10, 10, when he says that I have given you life and life to the full, life abundant, life overflowing. So it's, he's the way, he is the door out of our old and into the full. And so as we kind of, bring those three ideas together. We're going to talk about the fourth one today that's going to be jumping directly off of the idea of being uh, the shepherding terms that we used last week because today we're looking how Jesus says in John 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Will you join me in a word of prayer before we dive into the scripture together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you are here in this place. I thank you for each and every person that is in this room and each and every person that might be listening online later. Lord, I pray that every person who hears my voice knows that they are deeply loved by you. I pray that they know that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved before they've walked into this room. And I pray, Lord, that they know they are not here by accident. That whatever it is that you have for them, Lord, I pray that their eyes, their ears, and their hearts would be open to whatever it is that you're speaking to us now. And so, Lord, as we dive in, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every person. And may we continue to learn to be more like you to lean into who you are and to trust you as our good shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So several years ago when I was in, uh, I worked in a high school, and junior high school ministry at my previous church, uh, we had a junior high camp. And um, I've shared with you before, if you've been with us for uh, a little while now, I've shared that one of my uh, hobbies that I really enjoy doing is geocaching, uh, which all that means is that I have a phone or a GPS, and it's like these little like treasure hunts all over the place, and you like have... It's nerdier than you think. Even when I explain it, it's nerdier, but I love it. And so we were there at the summer camp, and it was at a campground. And I found out that there was uh, a geocache short, just kind of just outside the camp and, and along a trail. And so I was talking to uh, one of the other pastors and I was talking to some of the junior high students and they said, you know, I was like, well, I really want to go. They're like, let's go. And I'm like, awesome. Uh, I get to bond with students, but really I get to find a piece of Tupperware hidden behind a rock. And so it's very exciting. Well, we go in and I have a GPS and it didn't have a map. It wasn't my phone. It was a GPS uh, receiver. And so I typed it all in and it's one of those where the arrow just kind of went this way. And so I parked in the truck. Uh, We had everyone come out. It's probably about three or four students and me and the other pastor, and I just didn't use common sense, and I just saw that it went this way. So I start walking, and all of a sudden, a trail becomes more like just a field, and a field becomes more like just roughage and just trying to get through it, and then all of a sudden, we're like trudging up this mountain, and there's just all this stuff, and in my mind, I'm like, we're lost, and I'm like, the arrow says this way, but it's one of those where I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to be really calm on the outside, but on the inside, I'm like, great. There's going to be like a headline as if newspapers still had headlines. Uh, They're going to have a headline that says like, you know, pastor loses kids and also his job. And it's just like, I'm so worried (laughs) about the fact that like, I'm just not going to be able to find them back. So we start trudging through and then we get to this point where we kind of climb the hill. uh, And all of a sudden there is a trail as clear as possible. In fact, if I remember correctly, it's part of like the John Muir Trail, which if you know, like is a trail that goes all up uh, the the west coast. And it was one of those where because I had just followed the directions that go this way, I didn't open my eyes to the fact that there was a trail marker this way. And it would have taken us a fraction of the time and it would have probably added a year to my life. And so um, (laughs) it's one of those things where it reminds me of this idea of These students, the junior high kids, they just wanted to come with me and they wanted to have a good time and and be able to find this and kind of have that adventure and they were in for more adventure than they expected. But it's one of those ideas where it was like, we were just kind of, I was in charge of them, right? And I ended up leading them all over the place and because they were just following me, they're like, okay, we'll go wherever you go. But I was not being a good shepherd in that moment of leading them to where they needed to go in a way that was safe, in a way that was good, in a way that, you know, would, would have the best result now it was a funny story later on like remember the time you got lost I'm like you get lost and it's one of those where you know I just remember that it was funny but for me it's just this picture of like how often uh, we all are in need of a shepherd and how often it is for us or how easy it is rather for us to either get distracted to just follow along or to maybe even just not realize how lost we truly are. They thought it was fun. I knew that we were in a little bit of a trouble. Our main point today is decided that we all need a shepherd. The students needed a shepherd to guide them through to the geocache and, and I didn't do as good a job as I would have liked. We all need a shepherd, but only the good shepherd will meet our deepest needs. We all need a shepherd, but only a good shepherd will meet our deepest needs. and so. As we look at that idea, I want you to turn to John chapter 10. You have the church Bible. If, you, if you're new with us, uh, the, the seat in front of you has um, a church Bible that we would love for you to, to use if you would like. It's John chapter 10 verse 11, which is going to be found um, on page 1667, 1667. And as we turn there, we're going to be reading John 10 verse 11 through 21. Um, and the main point of your notes right there, the next section just says the need for a shepherd. And before we even dive into the scripture that we have here, um, I want to hit on the point that we all need a shepherd and just kind of land on that for a moment before we see how Jesus is not just any shepherd, but a good shepherd. And so the need that we have for a shepherd under your notes, the first thing there is, is that we are more like sheep than we'd like to admit. That we will follow the latest trend, the latest craze. We will follow what other people tell us. We hit on this a little bit last week, how easy it is for us to want to follow false shepherds. So if we're not careful, how do we know the difference between a false shepherd or a good shepherd? But we're all more like sheep than we'd like to admit. If you've read or heard of a book called um, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller, uh, he shares some thoughts here, and there's a quotation I'd like to, to share with you. It says this, It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind, quote, or parentheses, or mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. Yet despite these adverse characteristics, Christ chooses us, buys us, calls us by name, makes us his own, and delights in caring for us. That we, when sheep get together, they get timid, they get stubborn, they don't want to go where the shepherd's trying to lead, or they get too afraid to move forward. That if one sheep gets nervous, then they all get nervous. That the, the mentality of we should all do this, we should all do that, if that doesn't sound reminiscent of what it's like to be a human without a shepherd, then I it's so clear that that is what it can be like because instead of a shepherd, that's a good shepherd. We look again at just whatever the latest, you know, talk show host or celebrity or the newest fad or whatever it is, tells us how to live. And we're just, we'll follow. Okay. We'll be like sheep. And you've heard that, that, that term, the idea of being sheeple, just people who are just like sheep. So we're all, we are more like sheep than we'd like to admit. And the next point is just as important without a shepherd, we are in danger of being scattered or led into danger. Led into danger. So this idea that um, I was reading when I was putting together a uh, Bible study for students, again in youth ministry, I kept my job, thank goodness, and um, we are putting together a, a, um, a Bible study about sheep and what, it li- what it's like to be um, led by a sh- good shepherd, and in the midst of that, I found an article on USA Today from uh, 2005, in which the story is really short. Um, and in the story, it talks about this: the sheep in Turkey, that there, were, uh, there was this huge, huge flock of sheep, in which there are actually 26 different families that averaged at least 20 sheep in there. But the flock itself got up to 1,500 sheep. And it talked about... How while the shepherds were eating their breakfast, they left the flock of sheep to graze in this field. And then what happened was that one sheep started to just kind of keep grazing and there was a cliff there and just fell over the cliff. And sheep being without a shepherd, they just, so many sheep started following that lead that there were 1500 sheep that fell over that cliff. And just one after the other, after the other, after the other, and 450 of those sheep died. And I know some of you might be doing the math. Well, there's still over a thousand that survived. How is that possible? I kind of find this funny, forgive me in advance, but because so many of them fell over, those that, after the 450, the other ones that fell, fell like on a cushion of like the wool. And so like they were able to like have a soft landing. And so it's one of those where not all of them died, but because there was no shepherd who was keeping watch over them, they were in danger of either being scattered and going all different directions or in being very real troubled. So many of them that lost their, they, they died. And it talked about how, the loss for these different families, the loss of all the sheep totaled $100,000, excuse me, $100,000, and at the time, Turkey's GDP per person, so what each person would be able to contribute to the gross domestic product, I don't know if that's how all that works, but that's the best I can do, um, was $2,700. So imagine for each person it was $2,700 that they'd be able to contribute, but the loss of the sheep was $100,000. So this is a loss that is astronomical. And it proves the point that without a shepherd, that the sheep are in danger of being scattered or being in real danger. We see this idea in um, Numbers 27, 15 through 17. It's gonna be on your screen in which this is just after Moses was told by God that he wasn't gonna make it to the promised land and that he needed to have someone um, that he wasn't gonna continue on. And this is the heart of a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd before uh, he had his own flocks in Midian before he, uh, God called him and said, I am who I am and, and kind of followed the whole story of freeing the Israelites out of uh, Egypt. So in verse 15, after Moses finds out he's not going to make it to the promised land, he says this, Moses said to the Lord, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Last week, we looked at the idea how a good shepherd or, or, or Jesus was able to lead the sheep in, lead them out and be able to give them pasture. So the same verbiage is here as well. In addition to Moses here in Numbers 27, Matthew 9 says it this way, in Jesus' words, that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so when a bunch of people come together, and they don't have a shepherd, we can just get scattered, harassed, helpless, timid, fall into mob mentality, become stubborn. And so that's why we naturally yearn for someone to lead us. We yearn for some shepherd to step in. And yet there's a difference between just needing a shepherd because we all need that. But we all need a shepherd. And as our main point says, we all need a shepherd. But only the good shepherd will meet our deepest needs. And so what is the need that we have for a good shepherd? And focusing on that idea specifically. Let's read John chapter 10, verse 11 through 13. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The first part of your notes under the need for a good shepherd is that we all have a need for protection, for protection, that the hired hand sacrifices his sheep to save his life. The good shepherd sacrifices his life to save his sheep. Whenever there was a hired hand, I remember thinking this whenever I was in ministry, that I did not want to serve with people who looked at ministry, who looked at the people of God, the flock that we've been entrusted with, who look at that as if it's just a hired hand. This is just a job to me. Because a hired hand is someone who will flee when danger comes. A shepherd will run towards the danger when it comes. And so who has that shepherding heart to be able to come alongside and to lead out and to protect? That when you look at the idea of the word shepherd, that it originally comes from the word to protect. That our word for pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. And so it's a pastor's job to protect the flock, to protect the sheep. And this is something that I really had to wrestle with because for early in my ministry, I, I, I haven't always liked conflict. And that goes back to, to my childhood and my experiences there. And I bring into my adult life wounds from my childhood just as we all do. And one of them was conflict avoidance. It was wanting to stay away from conflict, wanting to just be uh, not a peacemaker who goes into conflict and makes peace, but to be a peacekeeper who just tries to say, everybody just be okay with everyone. And anyone who's ever had more than one child knows not possible. But it's one of those where this idea of wanting to just, okay, everyone just be okay with everybody. Look at look at how peaceful I am. And that's a false peace. And I had a friend, a pastor whom I deeply respect. And what she shared with me was, it was opening up my eyes to this idea that sometimes the most important thing a a pastor does is having to fight for the sheep to protect from the wolves or outside forces that would try to tear down, that would try to um, cause destruction, that would try to cause division, that would try to cause discouragement. And so as a pastor, one of my jobs is to come in, if there's conflict, to figure out how do we resolve conflict in a healthy manner so that it doesn't become this underbelly of bitterness and frustration in which the enemy can use as a foothold to divide congregations, to divide flocks, and to Get freedom or sorry, to take freedom from the people of God. That that's part of my job is to fight for you all. And so that's something where it when she showed me that, I'm like, that is such a powerful thing. So in order to be the shepherd, the pastor God's called me to be, I need to lean into conflict rather than avoid it. And I can't just be a peacekeeper who tries to everybody be okay with everybody else, but need to go into conflict and make peace. So it doesn't say Jesus doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Said, "Blessed are the peacemakers," and so we need to learn the de- the change there. There's a quote that I want to share with you. Uh, it's not on the screen, so just listen here. Um, when it talks about the idea of protecting the sheep, it says the Oriental shepherd was always ahead of his sheep. He was down in front. Any attack upon them had to take him into account. Now, God is down front. He is in the tomorrows. It is tomorrow that fills men with dread, but God is there already. All the tomorrows of our life have to pass him before they can get to us. So picturing our shepherd, our good shepherd out in front, who's not a hired hand who will flee at the moment of danger, but as a good shepherd's heart of providing protection, one of our deepest needs, that he runs into the danger in order to protect his sheep, his people, So one of the things we need is protection. Another thing that we see in John 10 verses 14 through 16 is the need for intimacy. The intimacy that we have between um, us and God says the hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. The good shepherd knows and cares about each of us deeply. We'll leave that on the screen. Here's what it says in verse 14 through 16. Jesus again, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. We stop there. And this reminds us of this idea that there is just not a, this is not a knowledge of the sheep. This is not a superficial like, oh yeah, do you know so-and-so? Oh yeah, no, I've met him a couple times. I know them. No, 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 this is such a deep knowledge and intimate care that we see modeled here that I was reading when I was looking up, I uh, just researched for uh, these past two sermons and talked about how there was a time in which uh, one shepherd, I heard the story of a shepherd who at night was trying to get all of his sheep kind of organized and put amongst uh, with the ewe lambs with their, with their, uh, their kids. And he was able to, by the touch of their face, be able to know which lamb was which, be able to then separate it with the mom, which would have been a hard enough thing in the daytime to be able to just kind of know because sheep look very similar. Um, but he was able to do it at night and it wasn't because he had you know, night vision goggles. It wasn't because he had spray painted their tails and was able to see it. Like, it was because he knew them so well, not just by sight, but by touch. That one of the verses that God has just been bringing up in my, my heart the past month or so it's just when Jesus talks about how a bruised reed he does not break and how a smoldering wick he does not snuff out. This idea that when we are at our weakest, our weakest excuse me, he knows us so well that he comes and he walks alongside us, he carries us. He doesn't let us just continue to, to wallow alone in the loneliness, but that he intimately knows us and that he sees every cry of joy that you have when... Good things happen, and yet he sees every tear that stains your pillow at the end of the night when bad things are happening. And he knows you, not just by sight, but because if you are his and he is yours, he knows you by touch because he's touched your life. and Your life has never been the same. That He can know you so well to be able to know who you, who you are, where you are, and what you need. Billy Graham says this, he said, God looks at each of us differently because each of us is different. He will relate to you just as you are. He will relate to me just as I am. His goal for each of us will be the same, our new birth. But to help us to that point, he will be just as personal as a shepherd who knows each of his sheep by name. But I've learned years ago that God likes to um, teach me things uh, in a very practical way. So this is going to, it's probably weirder than it sounds, or maybe not. So if you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, I'm not saying I'm a prophet, so don't, oh JP. Um, This idea of the prophets, there were things in which prophets were called to do something uh, physically, like to lay down on their side for many, many days as a way to kind of show how Israel has laid down. Like there's very um, physical incarnational things that happen. So what I've learned is that God tries to teach me things by um, just showing me these little truths. So when I was in Haiti years ago, there was a moment in which I um, was playing with some of the kids uh, on the island of Tortuga, which if you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, looks nothing like that. Um, But I was going on the island of Tortuga and I was playing with the kids. I got covered in sand. And by the next day, when I woke up, I had 109 different tick bites. And then on top of that, I couldn't sleep that whole night because I had one grain of sand had gotten in my eye. And so it was one of those where you close your eye and then all of a sudden you'd feel it like scraping around. You're like, okay, I'm up. And so um, I was so sad because I was in the middle of Haiti uh, outside with a mosquito net and I'm just playing like Candy Crush because I can't sleep. And so I'm just trying to like, how do I get through this? And the way God spoke to me is is, it's one of those where I say, God, okay, what are you trying to teach me? You know me personally. You know me as your sheep. What are you trying to teach me? And the idea was, well, where does sin come up in the scripture? Okay, well, sand comes up in the idea of whenever you try to build our lives, we talked earlier on shifting sand. What ways in my life am I allowing the opinion of others or what other people are saying dictating how I'm building my life rather than building it upon the firm foundation that Jesus has laid? And then when I have something in my eye, what does that talk about? It's the idea of how can you try to remove the speck from someone else's eye when you still have a plank inside your own. So who is it that you're judging? Who is it that you're tearing down? Who is it that in your own mind you think you know that they've, you figured it out for them and yet there is something very tangible you need to work on on your own. So it sounds weird, but that's one of the ways that God works in my life is that he teaches me things in ways that sometimes I prefer he didn't, but... It's one of those where it shows me a lesson and I learn more from those 109 tick bites and that one grain of sand in my eye than I would have had I not been open to how he would want to teach me. As a shepherd knows his sheep, needs, how I need to learn. Because some people could just learn by saying, hey, do this. Okay, Lord, I'll do that. I need to be like, give me 109 tick bites and a sand in my eye in order I learn it. Um, That's just me. But he knows each and every one of you. He knows how you need to learn. Some of you, it's to go out in nature. And it's just to be still in his creation. Some of you, it's through journaling. Some of you hate journaling. And it's not through journaling at all. Maybe some of you, it's to be able to talk with a friend and bounce ideas off. Some of you, it's to fast. Some of you, it's just to go and serve. I mean, whatever it is, God knows how you need to learn. And so are you open to receiving what he has to teach? He knows he provides protection for us. He provides intimacy for us. And then he shows us an example of selfless love. Selfless love, the hired hand only wants what they can get from the sheep. The good shepherd wants to give himself for the sheep. The hired hand only wants what they can get from the sheep. The good shepherd wants to give himself for the sheep. There's an example in Ezekiel 34. uh, If you want to look at a whole passage about bad shepherds, uh, Ezekiel 34 is is a great one that calls out the Pharisees. But I just want to show the first four verses. And this is when when God is speaking through Ezekiel to the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel. Verse one, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool, and you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. That false shepherds will want only what they can get from the sheep. Our good shepherd gives himself for the sheep. That's an incredibly stark contrast between a hired hand or a false shepherd and a good shepherd. We see this contrasted in uh, John 10. We're jumping down now to verse 17 and 18. The reason my father loves me, Jesus says, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And think about what Jesus is saying there. Two things. One, the authority and power that he has. The fact that it's not that human um, planning was what got him killed. It's that he laid down his life willingly. And he laid it down in the same way that he could then also has the power to take it up again. He was not out-schemed or out-maneuvered. He laid down his life willingly as a sheep would be led for the slaughter. He laid down his life, recognizing that he who had the power when, in John, chapter, uh, when John, when the, they come for him, they ask, who are you? Or we're looking for Jesus. He says, I am he. And it talks about how all the people fell down at his words. Imagine the power of that. And yet, as he's standing while all his enemies are falling, he doesn't lead a revolt. Peter, when he tries to cut off Malchus's ear, Jesus says, hey, those who live by the sword die by the sword, and he heals Malchus' ear. That he had all power from every moment, from that moment all the way through when he said, it is finished. He had all power and authority to say, God, stop this. But he didn't. Luke 22 talks about how he said, Father, take this cup from me, but if not, thy will be done, not my own. He had all authority and power to to get what he wanted, but what he wanted was you. And the only way he could do that was by giving himself up for you and for me, for his sheep. So he's talking about his authority there, but think about this. How selfless of a love must it take to know that you have the power to make something better for yourself and yet you lay down that power for your love for those who need your love. That it's not just great power and authority, it's the fact that he chose out of his selflessness, out of his humility... That he did not take equality with God, something to be snatched, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That therefore God exalted him and gave him the name that is above all names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth to the glory of God, the father. That's, that's power. And that's selfless love. Our good shepherd embodies both wholeheartedly. And so we see this as well. Isaiah 40 contrasts the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34 and then gives a a, 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 a signal to the kind of shepherd that the Lord is. And he says this. The Lord says, he, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. For those of you who are moms with young kids, I hope you hold on to that verse that he gently leads those who have young as this is a tough season. But it was a reminder that the selfless love it takes for the hired hand who only wants what they can get. They eat the curd as Ezekiel 34 talks about. They use the wool. They clothe themselves with it. They slaughter the sheep. They get what they want while Jesus gives what we need. His life for our lives. So as we close this morning, I want to read the last couple verses of John chapter 10, uh, 19 through 21, the last little section here. It says this, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That earlier in the section, John chapter nine is the, when the blind man was healed. And so all of us recognize that like people today, the Jewish people were divided by what Jesus said. That if you talk to someone who doesn't know the Lord, have a right relationship with Jesus, you say, I love God. There are many who say, oh yeah, God, no, me and God are good. If you say Jesus, all of a sudden there's a dividing line. Because we can all be good with God in our own perception of what that means, but once we say, but you have to follow Jesus, again, like we talked about last week, if we were to say that there's only one door in the back of this room, and all are welcome to come in, but there's only one way in, telling that, saying that is not hateful to other people. It's truthful that there's only one way into the house. There's only one way into the fold. There's only one way to the flock of Jesus Christ. And so, some will mock what Jesus said. We says, no, he's demon-possessed. Some will mock it, and others will recognize the truth of who he is by his words and his actions. Now, these words—they're not—they're not that crazy. And besides, who can, if he was demon possessed, how could he heal the blind? That all of us have to come to a decision in which we recognize: Are we going to just keep following? Bad shepherds, false shepherds, because we all need a shepherd, but only the good shepherd can meet our deepest needs. So are we going to keep falling and going to the point where we're just following what the world says to the point where we are jumping over a cliff and hoping that we land on other people so that we're still safe? Or are we going to be able to stop and listen to the voice of the one who provides our protection, who lay down his life for us, the one who provides intimacy, the care and the deep knowledge of not just superficial knowledge of who we are but the deep knowledge of our hearts and will we actually trust in the one who has the selfless love and the power in order to lay down his life so that we may have eternal life and if we do that then we'll be able to say what psalm seventy-nine thirteen says that we your people the sheep of your pasture will praise you forever from generation to generation we will proclaim your praise Now, I have a really long quotation I want to close with, and it's from Philip Cowler from The Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. It's not on the screens because it's so long, it's probably distracting. So if it's better for you just to close your eyes and listen to it, um, but I would ask that just take hold of what he's saying here. He says this, here we commemorate the greatest and deepest demonstration of true love the world has ever known. For God looked down upon sorrowing, struggling, sinning humanity and was moved with compassion for the contrary sheep-like creatures he had made. In spite of the tremendous personal cost it would entail to himself to deliver them from their dilemma, he chose deliberately to descend and live amongst them that he might deliver them. This meant laying aside his splendor. His position, his prerogatives as the perfect and faultless one. He knew he would be exposed to terrible privation, to malicious charges that branded him as a glutton, drunkard, friend of sinners, and even as an imposter. It entailed losing his reputation. It would involve physical suffering, mental anguish, spiritual agony. In short, his coming to earth as the Christ, as Jesus of Nazareth, was a straightforward case of utter self-sacrifice that culminated in the cross of Calvary. The laid down life, the poured out blood were the supreme symbols of total selflessness. This was love. This was God. This was divinity in action, delivering men from their own utter selfishness, their own stupidity, their own suicidal instincts as lost sheep, unable to help themselves. What Jesus did as our good shepherd is he met our deepest needs. And when we look at what he did, by laying down his life and providing protection, by having the intimate connection with us and caring about us, and by having the power and the selfless love to do so, we see that's love. That's God. That's the story of a redeemed life through Jesus Christ, that we would be protected, we would be known, and we would be loved by selfless love, and we'd be able to share that love with others. So as we close, it's a reminder that we all need a shepherd, but only a good shepherd will meet those deepest needs. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord, and I pray that whatever need we have come in with, even if it's one that has been buried so deep within our souls that we don't even want to acknowledge it, Lord, whatever need that we have come in this morning with, Lord, we pray that you have touched our hearts and our souls in a way that only you can. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning and God, maybe they've been part of your flock. Maybe they've been someone who's followed you, but then they've started to wander off and they're in danger of being scattered or falling off of a cliff because we're following what everyone else around us is saying. But Lord, earlier in that passage, you say that your sheep know your voice. So Lord, I pray that your voice would speak so clearly, that you know us personally, you know the ways that we receive your word. God, I pray that you are speaking so personally to each and every person now, and that it would be a powerful, personal, impactful way that you are speaking. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't turn to other things, but that, Lord, we wouldn't be divided like the people in the passage were at the end, but that we would recognize that we know that what you say is true, that what you've done in our lives, is true, that the protection, intimacy, and selfless love that you've showed us is true, and that because of that, we know that you as our good shepherd are true, and we could trust you. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts as we close, so we remember that you alone are good, that you are forever reign in our lives, that because you are good, we can trust in you as our good shepherd. We love you, Lord. We worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close and we think about the, uh, the three deepest needs that, or three of the needs that we see the good shepherd providing for his sheep is protection, intimacy, and love, and then also that selfless love. And I don't know about you, but those three needs sound awfully similar to what our moms provide for us. And so let me be someone that again just says, mom, mama's in this room. If you are struggling, if you're going through a tough time, if you're questioning your ability to mom, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling too stressed out, if it feels like you're not having enough support or you're you're feeling alone in this battle, remember that God cares for those who have young and he brings them in. He cares for those who have been entrusted and that of all the women in all the world throughout all of time, God knew that you would be the best, not the perfect, but the best mom for your kids. And so thank you for shepherding your children and give yourself a little bit of extra grace. Be kind to yourself. And I hope and I pray that you know that as you are shepherding your kids, that you have a good shepherd who shepherds your heart. May you be encouraged this morning. Some of you, you're going through a tough time. Mother's Day is hard. I would love to be able to pray with you um, if this is a tough day for you. Others of you are are celebrating, and I hope you celebrate well. As you leave, moms, we have a a small uh, gift for you or or a flower for you on the way out. Uh, There's patio tables to get signed up with some of the things we mentioned. But again, thank you, moms, for providing protection, intimacy, and selfless love for your kids. Happy Mother's Day. God bless, and we'll see you next Sunday morning.